For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In a world where Carolina Panthers fans have an insatiable thirst for Panthers news and opinions, only one podcast roars ferociously. It's the C3 Panthers Podcast. What's up, Panther fans? We're back again with another C3 scouting report. The Panthers coming off of two games, back-to-back consecutive wins, however you want to say it. It's good to feel that feeling again it's been a long time for the carolina panthers and they're going on the road for their second divisional game of the season against the atlanta falcons who are not feeling that feeling as they fell to zero and four they're winless on the season and we're going to be looking into that game tonight and hopefully by the end of the show i have convinced our guests that um we're going to have dan quinn fired but before we jump into all of that Go ahead and smash the thumbs up button. Be a part of the C3 Panthers podcast. The post game is live right after the game. We usually start at 4.30. You can call in at 252-228-5098. Smash the thumbs up button. Subscribe and do me one solid. Tell one fan or five about this podcast. And uh, let's continue to grow together. We've built a good community. And part of that community is actually a rival here with me. Aaron Freeman tonight from um, Locked On. Well, actually, you have a long list of accolades to go over. Locked On Falcons podcast. Uh, it is also PF Central, right? Falcons? Yeah. And at Falc Fans uh, on Twitter, you can find Aaron Freeman. He has been chopping it. Man, been a part. We've been rapping on the internet for a while now, and we're back at it in 2020. Aaron, this is about you guys for the most part. Um, I asked our guests last night, are the, how can the Falcons be this bad? I'm going to start you off with a different question, and that is, what's the central storyline for you? Not the sensational line, not the whatever. What is the most important thing to you when it comes to the Atlanta Falcons at this moment? Well, I think that's a good question because – it's kind of changed the last couple of weeks, but I would say in general, if you ask me at any point, at really any point in the last several years, it's always kind of goes back to the offense more often than not. Um, and to me, this team really in the Matt Ryan era has always been a team 
that has lived and died by their offense's ability to score points and, and you know, obviously outscore opponents to win games. But it, it's never really been about their defense. And I think a big reason why the team has taken a major step back these last couple of years is because they haven't gotten the level of consistency out of their offense that they got in, in previous years. And I think particularly coming off of the Packer game where I really did think going into that game, like we would see the Falcons show some life and, and be competitive against a, a really, you know, what was what I think still is the, the NFL's uh, highest scoring offense in, in Green Bay. And, you know, I wasn't really expecting the Falcons to win that game, but I thought, you know, they could keep it close for, you know, maybe three quarters before Aaron Rodgers just completely, you know, dominated that defense. And for the Falcons offense to just, you know, limp their way to 16 points in that game uh, really was really disappointing because we've seen this Falcons offense already in in 2020 put up some points. They put up 39 against Dallas and and should have won that game. They put up uh, 26 against uh, Chicago in week three um, and and probably could have put up a, a few more. Um, had they not sort of stagnated towards the end of that game and had like four, three and outs to finish. So it was one of those things where it's like, okay, the offense is is going strong, um, at least certainly stronger than it was a year ago. So that's something that the Falcons can rely on. And then the kind of complete lay an egg against a Packers defense that's okay, but nothing to write home about uh, really was a surprise for me. So I, I guess that's where I, I kind of come back to. You mentioned that it is like um... – you know, you're used to certain things being problems for the Falcons. And um, like, okay, the de- and now it's expected. The defense has, has suffered so many injuries. Um, there have been so – oh, God, this better not have just froze this damn program. Anyway, we're uh, I'm pretty sure my OBS just crashed. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, as we are continuing, hopefully we're still live, is that – um, that offense, though, is usually the mainstay, and it has just been up and down, up and down. And at this point, you know, you can't even figure out how to get Ty Gurley to work. And you're, I don't even know if you're even trying. Yeah, I mean, that's been a, a real bone of contention with me all all year long. Uh, you know, the Falcons said all the right things this offseason, talking about we're going to get back to the outside zone running scheme that, you know, Kyle Shanahan has made famous and so many other offenses that we saw Gurley really excel in with the Rams uh, for several years there uh, under Sean McVay. And they kind of did it in the Dallas game, and I thought that was a big reason why their offense performed in a major way. And then really in the other three games, they just kind of abandoned it. And it's a lot of sort of draw plays. It's a lot of runs up the middle. If anybody was following me on Twitter on Monday night, I was – very wasn't uh, a, the more positive moment for me on that night, just watching this team offense. But it was just one of those things where you, you're just constantly now seeing Todd Gurley try to bounce plays outside. He's been so much more effective running to the edge, running to the outside, because the Falcons offense is built to be one of these outside zone, wide zone schemes with these sort of light athletic offensive linemen that can get guys on the move. That's what they've been building towards. That's what they've built their offensive line to be. And then, you have a play caller in Dirk Cutter who just just loves ro- running draw plays, just loves sort of running that inside zone and trying to create push up the middle, and, and they just do not have the players up the middle. They have a bunch of smaller, quicker, athletic guys that are good in the outside zone scheme, good taking out linebackers on the second level, but aren't going to be guys that are going to be moving anybody off the ball. And it's incredibly frustrating to sort of see them continue to try to just – 
run Gurley and basically into the back of their offensive lineman and, and thinking, you know, this two yards and three yards in the cloud of dust style of, of offense is going to produce effective running game. And you're, you're seeing Gurley kind of rebel against that in a lot of ways. If you, if you've been watching closely, because like now he's just kind of, they're calling plays up the middle and then he's just bouncing it outside. And sometimes he's turning them into 10, 15, 20 yard gains. And it's like, Everybody but the play caller seems to uh, be getting the hint of what they should be doing. But unfortunately, this is the world that Falcon fans live in with Dirk Cutter. We we knew this world uh, way back in the day when he was the offensive coordinator back in 2012 through 2014. And it started off well and did not end well with him. And to sort of have the team go back down this rabbit hole was very frustrating when they hired him back in at the beginning of 2019. And to me, it's not a huge surprise. It's disappointing. It's, it's um, frustrating, but it's not a huge surprise to, to see the offense sort of stagnating in the way that it has under Dirk Cutter because I've seen this story before. You see Julio left the game. He, he had been dealing with a hamstring injury in the week prior, um, comes out and plays the first half, and then does not return, if I'm correct. And uh, Julio has always struggled with these nagging injuries throughout his career. Now there's been murmurs of the Falcons getting to a point where even Julio may be part of, you know, could be thought of as a shoppable asset. So you have that, and then Calvin Ridley doesn't catch a pass in this game. It's the first time he's not been spectacular since he came into the league. How is the passing attack? Uh, you can't tell me Green Bay is that good on defense. Yeah, I think that that was a big part of, of sort of the disappointment. The Falcons just kind of, relied on this Dinkin Duncan passing. They had one 20 plus yard pass play in that entire game. It came with, you know, a minute 27 left in the game. Uh, that's why once they fell into a hole, they, they had no way to come back. You, as you know, you, if you're going to try to climb out of a hole, you got to move the ball. You got to get those chunk plays uh, to get down the field and, and potentially score some points. And they didn't do that on a Monday night. I think not having Julio is a big part of that. I think Calvin Ridley, having a, a, a quiet game, obviously giving up the goose egg. Uh, he was dealing with an ankle injury um, as well. They've been kind of playing him out of position, trying to ask him to do the same things in the offense the last two weeks without Julio Jones uh, that Julio Jones does. And, and Calvin Ridley's excellent receiver, but that's not really where his skill set is. His skill set is getting those one-on-ones, you know, that he always gets because Julio's drawing that bracket coverage and, and cooking, you know, teams number two corners. Um, and that's what he does exceptionally well and did that exceptionally well the first two games of the season and not so much the last two weeks of the season now that he's been getting the attention of opposing teams number ones. Um, that's not a slide at Calvin, really. It's just it, it, it's the, the reality of the situation. Now, going back to Julio, you know, I've heard this trade talk. I've heard a lot of trade talk. I think that's just sensationalism uh, uh, online, uh, given the sort of the rocky start of the Falcons. I don't see any scenario with the Falcons trade Julio Jones, but the reality, and this was something I've, I've talked about, you know, quite a bit on lockdown Falcons over the last year or two, ever since sort of Julio's contract situation started coming up and people started, you know, talking trash about Julio Jones, at least, you know, a handful of Falcon fans uh, had the audacity to say uh, negative things about Julio Jones. But, you know, as he gets older, these nagging injuries that he's been able to play through and gut through are going to be a lot harder for his body to recover from. And I think you're seeing that, now and and this is something that I've you know talked about quite a bit on Lockdown Falcons, where it made the need the Falcons to have 
better, stronger depth at the wide receiver position, much more important because these issues that, as you say, Julio Jones has always dealt with, but always managed to play through because of his competitiveness, because of his toughness and, and find ways to make plays is not moving forward. is not going to be as prevalent and you're going to, he's probably going to miss this Panthers game. All signs seem to be indicating that he'll, he'll sit this week. He might have to sit another week. I mean, these hamstring injuries are nagging issues and at his age, he needs time to heal and asking him to try to gut it out. Um, I just don't think it's, it's the right formula. And the Falcons have to do a better job sort of managing this uh, so that they don't wind up doing a thing that they did several years ago with Roddy White, where he was dealing with, you know, a high ankle sprain and he tried to gut it out. Um, you know, basically it was a decoy for four weeks. Then him trying to deal with that issue led to him having a hamstring injury, then led to him missing um, you know, like five weeks. And and we basically in that 2013, that was the same 2013 season where Julio Jones had his first major injury. And basically we got Julio Jones for five games that year. We only got Roddy White for five games that year, all because the Falcons were insisting on, on trying to get, you know, what, obviously one of their best players on the field as much as possible. But sometimes for the health of your team, you just got to tell your star players, like similar to what Green Bay did with Devontae Adams last week, that he had a hamstring injury. And he was ready to go, and he tweeted it out and, and wound up deleting the tweet. But he was ready to go, and, the, and team doctors shut him down. They said, like, look, Devontae, we need you in January. We don't need you right now in October. And obviously, I don't think that's a conversation the Falcons are going to have with Julio. But, you know, they, they do need him in the long term. Um, so I, I think it's a similar situation, and it doesn't seem – or, you know, it, at least last week it didn't seem like they were prepared to make that decision, and hopefully this week they will be. What would the circumstances have to be for Julio to be traded? And would do you see a team wanting wanting that, given that he's dealing with a hamstring injury, or are they going to need to see him come back to full form before you got the interest? Do you need to be zero and eight? Yeah, I don't. I don't see a scenario this season where the Falcons would realistically shop Julio Jones. I just feel like Falcons owner Arthur Blank. Any sort of talk of trading any of their stars like Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, which I've heard a lot more people talking about over the last couple of weeks, uh, from fan standpoints on Twitter and elsewhere. I, I just don't see that scenario ever happening in this year. You know, next year if things don't go to plan and whatnot, I could see maybe the Falcons entertaining that because at some point they're going to have to find replacements for Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. I think obviously you have one potential option with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. So, you know, I think, you know, if we're just playing the hypothetical situation, I think you would get takers for Julio Jones. I don't know if you maybe get the best value for Julio Jones at this point in the season, just because he's dealing with this hamstring injury. But I think at the same time, you don't want to have a situation similar to what Cincinnati's having with AJ green, where, you know, a guy's been dealing with injuries and now looks like a shell of the player that he once was. Um, and, you know, if, if, you know, a year ago, if Cincinnati had tried to trade AJ green, it, you felt like you probably could have got a second round pick for him. Now, if, if they started shopping him now, you know, I think they'd be lucky to get like a, fifth or sixth round pick for AJ Green at this point in time in his career. So I think, you know, you could, you can make a case in that regard uh, that, you know, the time would be, you know, strike while the iron's hot with Julio Jones. And I think someone would be willing to give up. I mean, someone traded a second round pick for Muhammad Sanu. So, you know, I think, by that standard, Julio Jones is probably worth two first-round picks, if, if you ask me. Well, that Just same the, team could be looking for a receiver. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I think 
I think there will be, you know, in a, again, purely hypothetical situation. But I think if if the Falcons wanted to trade Julio Jones to a quote-unquote competitor, there would be takers for him. Just because, as I said, going back to Devontae Adams' point, for those teams, they're like, we just need to get Julio healthy for January because that's when we need him, as opposed to worrying about his health status right now. Tell us about the – so the Panthers' defense really struggled to get home uh, in the – opening two games in fact they couldn't even get um you know a hit on the quarterback we've sort of come to life with these young defensive players over the last two weeks getting finally getting to the quarterback causing some forced fumbles notoriously Atlanta has been had a bad offensive line that somehow plays okay against the Panthers when they shouldn't um, what is the health of the offensive line this year? You said that there was problems up the middle, and does that provide the opportunity for Derek Brown to make some noise up the gut? Well, as you know, KK Short has always had a lot of success against Falcons offensive right. linemen. Um, fortunately for the Falcons, he's been nicked up quite a bit the last couple of years, so he hasn't had as much success in recent years. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing about the Falcons offensive line is it's, it's been actually pretty good for the most part this season. They really struggled in the Bears game because Kilio Mack was going up against their backup right tackle, Matt Gano, and was basically just teeing off on him. But again, going back to the earlier complaints about their play calling and whatnot, it seemed like the Falcons refused to chip Kilio Mack for a large chunk of that game, and it didn't seem to make any sense. Like you, Your guy obviously needs help, and, and they sort of were slow to make that adjustment. Um, but in that game in particular, Akeem Hicks really sort of had a, a monster game um, on the interior, sort of pushing around the Falcons guards, uh, among other interior guys last week against uh, Green Bay is Darius Smith, who's been having a, a pretty quiet season, um, really pushed around all of the Falcons interior guards and, and offensive linemen and had three sacks in that game. So, you know, the, the Falcons offensive line after two strong performances in week one and two uh, has been trending down the last couple of weeks. So hopefully they can sort of, uh, you know, make a hard left turn and, and, and start turning back upwards. But, um, you know, I think for the most part, their offensive line has been playing well, particularly the tackles. It's really the guards that have been struggling a little bit more. Um, so I think for guys like Short and, and Brown, uh, they should have some success. But Brian Burns, you know, is the type of pass rusher that traditionally has given players like our right tackle, Caleb McGarry's problems because he's a speed, speed rusher. So, that is a matchup that I am concerned about. Um, but based off of McGarry's performance so far this season, I'm at least cautiously optimistic that he'll be able to hold his own. We got a question from the chat room. We'll ask this one about go circling back to Todd Gurley. Is is there are they going to figure it out? Is Todd Gurley going to have any sort of resurrection in Atlanta, or is he gone there to ultimately die as a football player? <laughs> I, you know, I think Gurley's not going to have the resurrection of the Todd Gurley that people know. He's not going to be this 300-carry, 1,500-yard rushing. That's, that time is gone. That, that ship sailed when he had the knee injury issue back in 2018. Um, he's more of a grinder than, you know, that that when he was that player, he could give you the power runs. He could give you the explosive runs. He would be busting 30, 40-yard runs you know, every single week. He was a lot like Adrian Peterson in his prime was, which is the guy that can 
either run over you or run past you. The thing with Gurley now is he's not going to be a guy that's going to run past you anymore. He can still run over you. He's still got great vision. He's still doing a great job finding daylight, uh, you know, playing through contact, all those various things. Uh, had a, a pretty vicious stiff arm against Eddie Jackson in the Bears game to score a touchdown. So he, he's a reliable running back, but he's just not going to be the type of running back that you're going to give the ball to 25, 30 times and expect him to sort of single-handedly guide your your rushing deck. He's going to need help. He's going to be sort of a component of a healthy running game. Um, but, you know, he's he's still an effective starter. I, I, I clearly think that. I think he would be even more effective as I said earlier, if the Falcons were more committed to their outside zone running scheme that they should be more committed to. But, you know, I think if, if people are expecting Ty Gurley to return to the Ty Gurley of a couple of years ago, I, I think that ship has sailed. But he's still a player that I still think has, you know, good football ahead of him and can be an effective starter for the Falcons and, and any teams that he winds up playing for in the future. Switching over to the defense, Dan Quinn comes in from a – I guess this was around – 2015 comes from Seattle you expect a defensive coach to finally give the Atlanta Falcons defense a breath of life it looked like it was going to happen at first but over the past couple years it's progressively gotten worse now you're dealing with a bunch of injuries where is the Falcons defense and how much are they a problem at this moment well, I mean, the, the first, you know, despite the the late game collapses, they actually played reasonably well against Dallas and, and Chicago for three quarters. Um, they played reasonably well against Seattle for the first half of that game. Uh, it's it's really those first three weeks. It really was, you know, they just couldn't sustain it. And they started giving up a bunch of big plays in the second halves of those games. And that allowed those teams either in Seattle's case to, you know, build a, a significant lead that the Falcons couldn't overcome and then against Chicago and Dallas to lose a significant lead. Um, but then against Green Bay, they just right out the gates, they were just giving up big play after big play after big play. And some of that's owed to the fact that they had, you know, a bunch of injuries and a bunch of green folks. They were like on their third string safeties, uh, you know, about halfway uh, through the first quarter in that game. Um, their young secondary is been problematic their linebacker core has been problematic and their pass rush has been better than it has been in previous years but not to the degree that it needs to mask all those other issues I mean going back to sort of Dan Quinn's tenure like you're right they were trending upwards for a couple of years there and then things started to hit a snag and you know a lot of it has to do with the fact that the the style the way that the Falcons want to play is they want to play that sort of Seahawks style defense they want to play that cover three zone on early downs get teams into third and longs, third and manageable situations. And then they want to have the ability to sort of man up wide receivers and get stops on third downs, get stops in the red zone. And if they can do those things, get enough of those stops with their offense playing that the way it did early in, in, in Dan Quinn's tenure, they were able to win on uh, more games than not uh, playing that style of football. But what's happened the last couple of years is they don't have the secondary play and the cornerback play that can man up any receiver court when they had Robert Trufant, I mean, Robert Alford and Desmond Trufant at the peaks of their careers in 2016 and 2017, they could man up any wide receiver core in the league, right? It was only the elite receivers that gave them problems. The Mike Evans is the Antonio Browns, those types of guys, Odell Beckham. Um, nowadays, anybody will give <laughs> these quarterbacks problems. So, you know, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, I'm not expecting them to have a whole lot of success covering those guys. And unfortunately for the Falcons, their pass rush is just isn't good enough to cover up 
for that fact. And so they can't really play the style of defense that they want to play. They have a bunch of miscommunications, mental errors, all these various things. So it's it's a whole lot of bad with the Falcons defense now. It's like all the holes, all the cracks that they were able to cover up with, you know, a couple of star players on the front end and the back end with Grady Jarrett and Trufon and a healthy Keanu Neal in the past. Um, in addition to their offense, they can't cover up those flaws anymore. And they're being exposed regularly uh, this year, last year, and, and in other recent years. Is there anything good in your life at this moment? <laughs> with the I mean, like they have like, I, I I hadn't given up on him. If I sound down, it was just because like going into Monday night, I hadn't given up on him. And I was, as I said, like I was expecting them to be competitive in that game. I wasn't expecting them to win, but just like, okay, if the offense can get going and this defense can just, you know, maintain, like this is a team that isn't going to beat Green Bay, but coming up on the stretch against Carolina, Minnesota, Detroit, and Denver, they're going to have an opportunity to win some of these games. And then, for them to just completely lay an egg against Green Bay has now got me just now sitting here like, I, I don't know what they're going to do. And so now we're just kind of counting down the, the days until they lose enough games where the, you know, the ownership has enough is enough and it's time to move on from Dan Quinn. Cause that's, that's basically what we're just waiting on now at this point. How long do you have to wait? I mean, it's been speculated on the last couple of weeks that, the most recent game, a lot of people thought the Green Bay game because of the showcase of uh, Monday night would be enough to push it over the edge. They got home fans this weekend, you know, 10,000 or so feet folks expected to be in, in the building. You know, they're probably going to be booing if the Falcons don't come out and, and impress. Um, a lot of people have been speculating that could be a catalyst for their, for them to move on. I feel like, I think if I was placing bets, I would say either this week's game against Carolina or the next game against Carolina, whichever one they lose is a good probability that it will be Dan Quinn's last game. Because I feel like this week you have that first home game, the 0-5 start. If they lose this game, you know, I, I don't know what else you need to see, you know, against Minnesota in week six or Detroit in week seven that you got to bring them back. If they manage to win this game, I think it should get him through until that week eight game because it's a Thursday night game. And then – if you fire him um, after if they lose on that Thursday night game, then you have an opportunity to give the interim coach, you know, a little bit extra time to to get ready for his first game against Denver in week nine. Then you have the week 10 bye. So it feels like in the next month at some point it's going to happen, but it could be, you know, three or four days from now. Who knows? The Falcons are zero and four, but they are favored by two points at um, um, my bookie. Um, over the Panthers, I have first. I got to tell you this, Aaron, is I um, lost some money on the Falcons, and my friends told me that I deserved it, that I should have known better, I should have known all this. This was the Chicago Bears game, minus three. They were the most. I felt the most confident in that pick out of all my picks that week. And they were decimating the Chicago Bears until they weren't. They had an opportunity to push for me. Did not happen. Tell me why the Falcons should be favored by two points here. Yeah, I think uh, I had a conversation with the uh, Lockdown Panthers host earlier today. Uh, we talked about this. And it doesn't make any sense. I, I think Vegas is still not sure what this Falcon team is. Um, you know, 
you know, the home team gets three points. So technically they think Carolina is slightly better, but I think Carolina's probably one more than one point better at this point in time. But, you know, maybe they're not buying quite the the Carolina hype quite yet. And maybe they're not willing to sell all their Falcon stock. But it, it seems like this should be like a the Panthers favored by two two points if I was to put my thoughts on what this line should be. But uh you know, I think that tells you where the value is in, in betting this for any Panther fans listening. Yeah, yeah. For me, I was just thinking this is I have re the Panthers have given me reason reasons to be optimistic in certain ways, right? You know, I mean, I'm not saying that we're coming out and we should be uh, favored in these games, but we have gotten better each week. The Falcons have not given me any reason to believe in them, and I continue. Basically, the only reason is this, is that we've seen the offense put up points in the past, and at some point, are they really going to lose every game? It's home, you know. These are the like these are all the things. But at the at the very what we've seen on tape, the Panthers have looked pretty good from week to week and are getting better. That's why I took the over this week, fifty four and a half. It's a lot of points, but I don't think your de- your defense has a lot of holes in the secondary. Our defense is exciting at times, but not shut down. Both offenses have shown some signs of life at times. Do you th- what do you think about that? Do you see this game being a boring one where by today's standards a boring game is like 24 to 20 or is this uh keeping up with the trend of points 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 on Sunday? I got to hope that it's like I don't know 27 24 30 27 somewhere in that where do you see this game kind of falling on that spectrum? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because, like, I don't have the confidence that the Falcons offense is going to put up as many points as they should in this game. Because I think you're right. Like, at face value, you're you're thinking this is going to be like a 27-24, 30-27 type of ball game. But without Julio Jones, if he doesn't play in this game, I I don't feel as confident the Falcons are going to hold up their end of the bargain in Mm. sort of an over sort of situation. So I I think – all the signs say that you're right. This is the type of game that that should be. But I, after the Green Bay game, I don't have the confidence. But, you know, typically, as as, as you know, any given Sunday, and you can have a team look rough on one, one week and then bounce back the next week and then look great the previous week. I mean, Caroline looked amazing against uh, Arizona. I think I don't think anybody gave them a chance going into that game. And, they, you know, they, they beat them in pretty much in all three phases. Um, you know, pretty soundly. Um, so, you know, are they in for a letdown game? Who knows? I, I don't know. So, you know, I know it's not the answer that you're you're wanting, but uh, I, I feel like you're right, but I have a little bit of hesitancy. Right. It's kind of like I want to pick the Panthers with the points. Give me the two points plus two. But then I have the hesitancy of just knowing what was it we were talking before the show. What's the last what we've um, the Panthers record versus the Falcons over the last couple of years? Yeah, the Falcons have won five in a row. Last time the Panthers beat the Falcons was in 2017, and you can argue that they were one Julio Jones drop away. The Falcons were one Julio Jones drop away from winning that, and then it would be nine in a row that the Falcons. But you know that was the Ron Rivera era, and like that's right. one of the frustrating things about. The Dan Quinn regime is it seems like the more familiar they are with the, the opposing team, the better they are. Um, but when they're facing an unfamiliar opponent, uh, 
and they will be with Matt Rules now taking over. They don't have a ton of success. Now, the good thing for Dan Quinn and the Falcons is that they generally do well within the division, and they owe a lot of that success to, you know, basically he's I think he's eight and two against the Panthers in the five years he's been in Atlanta. So, I mean, I, you know, my, my concern is like, Oh, like they're going to go, they're going to approach this game thinking like, Oh, this is the same old Panthers. We know this team, the ins and out, we play them every single time. And then like all Matt rule and Phil snow have to do is like throw three wrinkles into the thing. And it's going to all come <laughs> crashing down for the Falcons. And it's like, you know, then, and then the Panthers will roll like 30 to 17 or something like that or, or whatever. So that's, that's my concern. But again, this this is not a great week for me personally. Right, right. <laughs> Feeling optimistic about the Falcons just because all my hope just kind of evaporated halfway through the first quarter in that Monday night game. Last question. If things continue to spiral down and down, right, and you finish with three wins or something like that at the most, maybe. I mean, it could be that bad at this point. I don't know if it's going to be that bad, but – as you look ahead to the draft, is there any thoughts that you're on the back end of Matt Ryan and you might be interested in moving to a new era with a new coach? Yeah, I mean, this was this is something I've been talking about for a couple of months now. I was talking about this in the summer. Like, if the Falcons don't make the playoffs, you're, Matt Ryan's going to be in the same boat that guys like Phillip Rivers and Eli Manning are in terms of how many times the team has missed the playoffs over the last several, you know, seven, eight, nine years. Uh, and both of those teams wound up drafting quarterbacks in the top 10 um, with Daniel Jones in 2019 and, and uh, Justin Herbert in, in 2020 for the Chargers. And so you would have a similar situation. I think the difference um, is that the Falcons have been a little bit better than either one of those teams, uh, even in their quote unquote down years. Uh, Matt Ryan has been more productive than Rivers and, and uh, man and more been, successful. You know, yeah, you know, year to year, it's shown a little bit more consistency than those guys. So I don't feel like there's going to be as much pressure on the Falcons. And you you also have to deal with the fact that, you know, they're in a situation with Matt Ryan's contract where they kind of really can't get into it out of it for a couple of years, especially he's going to count like $40 million against next year's salary cap. And the only if they dump him or, or try to dump him or try to replace him it'd be harder for them to get rid of that money the only way that they can really do that is by restructuring his contract and trying to get it down to like 25 million or something like that and if they do that then it's probably going to lock him in for another year because you know how they just wind up just kicking the can down the road with the contract so i've always sort of thought all along that okay next year they'll be they won't draft a quarterback but the year after they could definitely draft a quarterback high and that would be the guy that would be groomed to replace Matt Ryan if Matt Ryan doesn't bounce back next year under a new head coach um but Matt Ryan has not played well the last two weeks and i think some of the, a lot of that's owed to not having Julio Jones there um as his sort of security blanket i think a lot of that's owed to the play calling um so i don't think it's all Matt Ryan's fault but I think the voices and the talk of do you draft a new quarterback, an heir apparent to Matt Ryan, similar to what the Giants did with Daniel Jones, similar to what Green Bay did with Jordan Love, I think that's going to only get louder if the Falcons don't start winning games. Well, and Matt that's Ryan doesn't right. You might well. be in the Trevor Lawrence damn running. Yeah, and if they're picking as high as it seems like, you know, because like you, I was like, uh, you know, it's not going to get to 2-14. and 14. It's not going to get to 3-13. and 13. But now it's like, I mean, maybe it could. Maybe it could get right. that bad. Like, 
Um, and so if they're picking in the top five, they have to have that conversation. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to have to have that conversation, but I, I think we're going to have to have that conversation. at some point. Any questions for me as a Panthers fan going into this week before we leave? It's like finishing an interview. No, I mean, I guess I should ask you, how does it feel to watch a team that's trending upward instead of trending downward? Does that feel good? It does because it's been two years since we've had a good feeling, you know, and um, you come out in the first two weeks and you don't, you know, those games are exciting and competitive for the most part. Uh, I, I, I felt like we saw a lot of good things, but there were certain people who had already formed, you know, they didn't like Teddy Bridgewater, you know, they, and then all of a sudden it's like this Matt rule guy and everybody's destroying everything. But you could really see behind the scenes things were getting better. and Or it looks like it. And we just look competent. And that's the thing. is like uh, We're not better than most teams, but we're not beating ourselves too much. We had one game where we had a bunch of turnovers. Teddy didn't play well. But other than that, I feel like everybody seems to be getting better week to week. And that is a decent feeling. Rather than purgatory of losing. Where you don't yeah. know where to point the, f- you know, when once the losing stink gets on you so much, you know, it's hard to really identify the source. And I know there's never one source, but you're sitting here going at some point, it's like, yeah, well, maybe it's not the coach and maybe it's the players. Well, maybe it's not the players. Maybe it's the GM. Well, maybe it's not this. Maybe it's that. And it just gets to this circle, you know, you're circling the toilet bowl of attitude. And so the only way to get that stink off is to win. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought, you know, the, the Panthers situation was an interesting one because I, I, I liked the Matt rule higher. I didn't like all the moves that they made, but I figured like they, they would be a competitive team. I, I, I think people talking about them going into the season, talking about them like, oh, they're going to go like two and 14 or something like that. I was like, I, that's I, what I thought. I don't really, but I, I, I just never really bought that. Like I figured, you know, I wasn't expecting them to go like nine and seven, but I was like, they would be like, they're going to be a competitive like six win team or something like that. They're going to be out there. But, you know, I just remember seeing a lot of people just throwing a lot of slander at Matt Rule this summer. And I, I guess I it, it was it, it caught me a little bit by surprise with, with Panther fans. Yeah, um, I think we I, just want one thing is that I don't even care about W's. This season is not built on W's. It's built on getting better from week to week. And that means the players, the coaches, and the culture. Uh, if W's come out of that, which it seems they do, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I just think it's, it's interesting because I, I thought the scenario with the Panthers wasn't as bad as maybe people made it out to be. And to If we would have had like, Cam still, we would have been talking about how we're going to make the playoffs from week one. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, that's really it is everybody was fine until Cam left. And then that's when we everybody was like, oh, my God, this bum. <laughs> All right, uh, Aaron, tell them where they can find your work. Yeah, uh, you, you told them before, Tony. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, at FalcFans, if you want to see my hateful tweets towards the Falcons. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe this week they'll 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 win me back. Uh, but, of course, you can check me out every day on Locked on Falcons, talking all things Falcons on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. This one, it's on pretty much every platform out there, so... Uh, Lockdown Falcons is the place to be. Falcons Central Radio is kind of on hiatus right now. We'll, we'll see if it comes back later this year. But uh, 
you know, I don't know if I can do two shows a week complaining about the Falcons. So I know it gets uh, at some point you got to worry about your own mental health. Um, yeah. All right, Aaron, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for hanging out. Don't forget, folks, uh, to go ahead and smash the thumbs up button. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend about it. And we'll be back here after the game on Sunday for the post game show. The number is 252 228 5098. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.